Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, let's get started. We're in Revelation chapter 5. Let's pause and let's pray, and then we'll continue. God, again, we are gathered here because we believe in you and want what you have for us, and we are setting time aside so that we can receive from you, Lord, as well as learn about you, even learn about ourselves as we are hearing these words, Father, we see maybe ourselves more clearly, areas that need to change, to grow, places where you are affirming yourself within us, and I pray all these things take place here tonight, Lord. I pray that as we read, we would be spoken to you by you, and we would allow those things that you speak into our souls, Lord, to change and transform us. Thank you again for our opportunity we have here. Bless, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week in chapter 4, we talked about how there was this incredible worship taking place of God. And it was something that all creation was involved in. We had the 24 elders that we talked about being the 12 tribes, the 12 disciples, kind of a culmination of all that God has done and was doing coming to a place where they were bowing before the throne and worshiping, crying, holy, holy, holy. We had the four creatures with eyes that really represented creation itself, that everywhere that they were able to see the glory of God and worship him. And chapter 5 is continuing in this vein. It continues to expand here in what took place that we just read. And so let's start verse one. It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writings on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could be, could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. A 
a scroll in the first century would immediately bring into mind the scripture. When they would go into the synagogue, they had the scrolls there. When they wrote those things that were sacred, they were on scrolls. They were words written in scripture, and they would be expected to be brought out in a time of worship. The reading of scripture was a part of worship. But this worship was unattainable because of the centuries of disobedience and disbelief by the nation of Israel and even humanity. Because of all these things, there was not the ability to truly participate in this worship scene that we had just been a part of or to find out what God was going to be doing or was doing at that time. And this is reminiscent of something that took place in Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29, remember we talked about all of Revelation is, or so much of it is referring back to Old Testament, but not directly. There's not a a quoting of Isaiah. There's just these kind of alluding to. And in Isaiah 29 verse 11, it says, for you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. And if you give the scroll to someone who can read and say, read this, please, they will answer, I can't, it is sealed. Or if you give the scroll to someone who cannot read it and say, read this, please, they will answer, I don't know how to read. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so here in this scene, we have a scroll that cannot be opened. No one is found worthy. People's hearts are far from God. There is, again, the history of Israel as well as humanity that has put them in this place where they are not able to see what God is doing at the moment or is going to be doing at the in the future. And so we see John weeping. He wept and wept, and this is a pivotal moment in this book because what can be done for me? What can be done for us? What can be done so that we can be a part of this incredible worship that is taking place with this holy, holy, holy God? If God is so holy... So much as we've seen that it's almost foreign to us. It's like a foreign language. It's a foreign characteristic. It is other than us, different in so many ways. If he is so different than us in our character, then what can be done to bridge this gap and to allow us to participate in something that is so beautiful and so important that all of creation is participating in it. And God had established mankind from the very beginning in Genesis to rule and care for the earth, to be the caretakers. And then that responsibility fell to the nation of Israel. And if mankind and Israel had failed their responsibilities, how was God going to fulfill what needed to be done. And God already had a plan in works. 
his plan to to wipe away all the tears from the eyes, which we're going to see in chapter 7 as well as the 21, uh, a plan for him to bring restoration, and the plan we already know is Christ. And we see that revealed, of course, in Jesus and his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21 We see that Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We see that Jesus opens a scroll and says, I am fulfilling what the prophet spoke about. Here in Revelation, this scroll that no one could open in this place that was holy is going to be opened by the only one who can, and it's Christ. And this is an important part because there is a reoccurring theme here, this idea of God speaking, of God being worshipped, about worship connecting us to who God is, and it's found and revealed in Scripture, but no one's able to understand it. But how do we get to it? And that's why John's weeping. He's crying. Who can open this? I I want so much to be a part of what I see and what I know God is doing, but I can't. How can I? Reminds us of Philip, right? The Ethiopian eunuch where he hears him having an opening in the scripture. And he goes up to him and he says, hey, do you know what I'm reading? And he was reading from Isaiah 53 where it was the suffering Messiah, and he says, do you understand? And he says, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And Philip goes on to explain that the one suffering is Christ, the Lamb of God. And that's where we see what's taking place. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is presented to the Ethiopian, and we're going to see it happen again here. Verse 6 in Revelation chapter 5. Remember, he just cried because no one was able to open it. There was the elder who came up to him and says, look it, it's okay. Don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So we have this picture, a lion and the root of David triumph. But he looks in verse 6, and it says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, 
And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. A powerful, powerful picture. And it starts off with talking about the Lamb and seeing are talking about a lion and seeing a lamb. And those seem like such different symbols, right? I mean, a lion is that of power, of strength, of royalty. And a lamb is gentle, vulnerable, a sacrifice. And so we have these two pictures coming together. The lamb has seven horns, which a horn represents strength, and seven eyes. So it is all-powerful, all seeing. That's the, the presentation here. It is this powerful lamb as if it had been slain. And, and we see again that Christ's victory was complete on the cross. That was his strength his power, the culmination of what God was doing. Resurrection was approval of what took place. And the power did not come by conquering like everyone had thought. The power came by giving his life like no one thought. And when the elders fall down in front of the lamb, they see that each of them is holding a harp and a bowl with incense there is this beautiful picture that's taking place as it's explained that the bowls and the incense are the prayers of God's people. They're being lifted up. And John tells us that, that this is happening here. And it's telling us that the heavenly scene is connected. It's like the umbilical cord to earth. And, and what seems maybe, you know, Ordinary and humble and simple here on earth is actually powerful and beautiful and fragrant in heaven. And remember, the whole point is that the Christians here on earth appear in heaven as glorious, sweet-smelling incense. And it's happening. John is telling 
the people of God, those who are following Christ, those who are suffering persecution, that their prayer is like worship coming to the throne room. It is filling the temple. That they are there in this prayer. And so there's this beautiful connection that is made, and it is made because of the conquering lamb. There is so much symbolism here that we need to stop and take in. And that of the lamb is one that's going to be prevalent. It's prevalent throughout scripture and through this book. If we lose this image and what it represents, then we can mistake what God is doing and how he is doing it. I don't know if you guys saw in the video that we showed um, Sunday where they were talking about, you know, God doesn't need uh, advertising. He doesn't need publicity. And they showed all those billboards, right? And there was one that was like Jesus with all these muscles on the cross and like, you drew first blood, but I'm coming back or something like that. And it was like totally missing the scene, right? It's totally missing the idea of this lamb. But that's where our minds go to. We want the lion. We want these things. Even with the men, we were talking about the the men's conference, you know, and there's that picture of the armor of God. And there's, you know, the person there standing with armor. But you think of the armor that Paul talks about in its character, right? It's being right, being truthful, walking in peace, right? This is what God is pleased in. It's not like us being strong and overtaking the things that are, we're going to go, we're going to, you know, bring this enemy to his knees. No, we start on our knees because we are following our example of humility, of sacrifice, of giving, of ourselves. And that's what's taking place. Here, the response of worship increases our awareness of God and it helps us to grasp what's happening, right? We, we see worship taking place and then it turns into song. Worship is expressed in a song and, and it's a common theme throughout all of scripture. I mean, you think Moses had a song. Moses sang, Miriam sang, Deborah sang, David sang. Mary, Jesus' mother, sang. Jesus and the disciples sang. Paul and Silas in prison sang. Singing is a natural thing for people who worship. It is an expression. It, it, it brings us into a place. Sunday, when we were singing, there was someone, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but someone was there and I saw them singing, and I hadn't seen them singing before, but I saw them singing, and I was just so moved because what you're singing about, the things that we are singing about, it helps recenter you. Remember we talked about last week that there was a centering around the throne with all the creatures, with all the elders centering our lives around God. And when we sing, it helps us to be centered. It helps us to focus. It helps us to start to maybe 
move away from some of the distraction. There are five short songs that take place in these two chapters. The first two are directed towards God the Creator on the throne that we saw in the last chapter. The next two we see here are directed towards the Lamb, Christ, the Redeemer. And the last one is to the Creator and the Redeemer together, that they are first worshiping God, it crescendos, gets bigger, and they worship the Redeemer, and then the culmination is they worship God and the Redeemer together. Because now in Christ, we see our place and our ability to enter into this scene. And we're seeing that that is where we are. Worship moves us from a consuming place where we're trying to get our egos or wanting notice or people to recognize us. It moves us from consuming to centering, where we actually put God into the center and we get lost, right? We, we, we don't care about ego because we are so consumed with the one who is so great. And, and ego is a strange thing, right? Self is so deceptive sometimes. And we all like attention. We all like people to recognize us. There's nothing wrong with wanting people to like us or appreciate us. But we can start to cater to those things. And what worship does is it takes away that ego, some of the deceptiveness that can be there, and it moves us into this place of God being the center and the focus. And that's what's happening here. It moves us from our being aware of ourselves, what can happen, what about me, even as John was weeping and crying because no one's able to do this, and then the lamb comes in and it's like, okay, now I'm lost in the scene and worship is taking place. And it ends with a crescending amen. And amen is an affirming yes, right? The four living creatures said amen. All the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen is like, ta-da. It's, that's it. It's yes. Like I, I think of when you're watching a sport and someone does score the goal and you go, yes. Right? You're just like, yes, it happened. What, what was needed to happen, happened. And everyone is like, yeah. At the end of this worship is yes. This is what was meant to happen. It is the culmination of all these things that we've been thinking about, wondering where we are. This is what God is doing. This is what's taking place. Yes, it's happened. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What he's doing is saying, you are connected to the amen that God has now set in place. 
We are resounding with all creation. We are saying, amen. God, you are holy. Christ, you are our redeemer. Together, you have brought us into completion. Yes, amen. This is what was meant to happen. This is what God's intention was all along. Even though mankind failed, even though Israel failed, Jesus the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, did not fail. He came as a lamb sacrificed, fulfilling what man was supposed to be and pleasing God for all time. He is the culmination. Throughout Scripture and the Gospels, we would hear Jesus say the words, truly, truly. Or King James, it'd be verily, verily, right? Those words actually are amen, amen. Isn't that cool? Amen, amen, I say to you. Yes, yes, this is true. And it's so important that the act of worship rehearses in the present reality, what lies ahead, because they are connected. Remember, John saw that door in heaven and was called up to see, look at what's really going on behind the scenes, and worship brings the reality to the present awareness. Yes, yes, this is what's taking place. Heaven is introduced into the present and it recalibrates our lives into a dynamic anticipation, not of just what's going to happen in the future, but what is actually happening in the present. What God is really doing, what is really taking place right now. Creation is worshiping. The elders are worshiping. We get to worship. We get to be a part of this right now. And it's almost like when you're at a shore and the tide has gone out and, you know, there's all kinds of seaweed and sea urchins and everything's real muddy and things just look a mess. And it just takes that tide to come in and to sweep everything up, to cleanse everything, to refresh everything, to overwhelm everything that was there with the, the power of that water. And that's what worship is doing. It, it's rushing in, and it's replenishing, and it's reorientating, and it's helping us to understand where we really are and where God really is. And it is Yes. There's nothing else that needs to be said. There, there's nothing more that you need. Yes. This is what's happening. You know, the early church, with all its suffering and persecution, has never been matched in history with the strength and power to proclaim this message. 
You know, we look back and we think, oh man, these poor Christians, they were being thrown in with the lions and they were being torched and they were being persecuted and killed and it was terrible and it was tragic and it was, it was horrific. The only reason it became something different is because of the mindset that they had that was yes. We know what really is taking place. And they lived in this reality so that God was not away from them when the problems were happening. They knew that before the throne, all creation was worshiping. All that was happened in the past and is happening now is before the throne that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb of God has conquered through suffering and sacrifice. And now we are too. Yes. How could they have such power? Because they had such a connection with the identity of Christ. When we identify with who Jesus really is, when we enter into this picture, then we too get to be empowered with the same character and spirit of Christ. That we too can worship and say, God, you are awesome, you are almighty, Christ. All power and honor belongs to you. That God, you are holy. And all honor, glory, power are yours forever and ever. That belongs to God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. And that's happening. That's the picture that we are to see. This is supposed to incite our imagination to be able to understand things that we cannot physically see, but we can begin to imagine with the pictures that are being presented here by John so that we can understand a reality that is different than the one maybe we're blinded in. Any questions? Any thoughts? Boy, if we get through the book of Revelation without any questions, I am going to be super. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he came from that lineage. Yep, it's definitely why it's saying that. And remember, though, the whole idea was a king, the whole idea, and he's made us a kingdom and priests, right? But how are we a kingdom and priests? In what way? It's not like they were in Israel, Right? It, it, it's different. There's a different kingdom. There's a different way that we are being priests. It's not like the Aaronic priesthood where they were serving and sacrificing in those areas. It wasn't to a king like David. It was now to Christ. And it's a totally different kingdom. Right? It had to be. And it's a totally different way of being a priesthood of believers. Any other thoughts? Yeah, it's a powerful two chapters. They really are. If we don't get lost in the symbolism, right? If we don't make the symbolism something, I don't know, bizarre, 
you know, and recognize, no, this is actually very powerful in its symbolism, and it's meant to be. It's not some, again, you know, last days, end times, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's that wasn't what John was writing. John wasn't, you know, on an acid trip or, you know, having some kind of strange mental, you know, things. He was very much writing with intention here to help illuminate what he's seeing here and what he's describing. And if we can see that, I think we can actually appreciate so much more. You know, we actually can see, oh, wow, this is powerful. Wow, okay, I can see why this is so relevant to them at this time and why, you know, this idea of prayer and, you know, incense, wow. Nice to know our prayers don't mean little, right, that they are powerful and that they are present. It's important to see those things because I forget, you know, and then I don't want to pray because what's the difference? It's like, no, it's it's part of the heavenly scene, you know. It's a conversation with God that's real taking place. Well, last week we talked about that. The four living creatures kind of represented a lot of creation, you know, it presented like strength like an ox you know the man face was like the intelligence of humanity uh the eagle was you know the birds and those who are able to fly and soar it's kind of like all creation with all the eyes all over them is all creation is able to see the majesty and and glory of god the 24 elders we believe is a representation of the 12 tribes of israel and the 12 disciples kind of a culmination of the old and new yeah so well, actually, it's both Jesus. That's the whole point is the lamb is the strength. Yeah. You know, that is the whole point. I mean, you've you got to, again, understand the one who sits on the throne and holds a scroll, God's not holding anything, right? Physically, it's an illustration. It's there to make a representation. This is what's going on, right, in some way that help our minds get understanding that and the same thing with the lion and the lamb it's like the strength of the lion is the lamb and that's the whole point of jesus if you want to be great in god's kingdom you have to be the servant of all you know he who is least will be the greatest right you want to be strong then serve right give that strength and it's so contrary to humanity Right? What would happen if we actually believed this? What happened if nations actually, you know, governed like this? Oh my gosh, you know, how could things change? How would they change? Gosh, I have no idea. It would probably be crazy and then turn out to be wonderful, you know? Let's pray. Father, again, this is such a powerful picture that helps us to just begin to imagine what is taking place all around us, God. And Father, it's as if our souls know more than our brains understand. When we hear these things, there is something that I think takes place, at least within me, that that inspires, it breathes within me. And it helps my mind to begin to to grasp just how magnificent and how powerful not only you are and what you've done, but my 
ability to be a part of that. And I pray, Lord, that we would continually be inspired, that we would continually, Father, have a, a re-centering of our lives that allows you to be so prevalent, so central, that it shapes what we say, it shapes what we do, it shapes how we think. It, it takes us from being the center and allows you to truly be center and changes everything. And so I thank you again for how much this does mean and inspire us, Lord. And I pray that we would hold on to these things and that we would continue to come before you in this way so that you can continue to shape us and who we are here where we are. And we do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.